First Peter, chapter 2, verse 18, and we'll be all the way through 25. One thing that God's word does for you and I is it flips our worlds right side up. Because of our own sin, because of this fallen world, because of our enemy, we have a thousand, sometimes a million, it feels like, different voices vying for us to believe in their truths. Truths that promise comfort and pleasure and joy and everything that we've ever needed, but we are always left wanting. There's a reason why there are a thousand new self-help books every year. Nobody has it figured out. But God in his grace interrupts that. In his word, God flips everything right side up and shows us the true way to a true and lasting and eternal comfort and pleasure and joy in everything we've ever needed. One of the upside down truths that plagues us is that to suffer here on earth is wrong. We see this truth play, played out in every uh, TV show, nearly every TV show and movie. The conflict of the story is solved and then the people spend the rest of their lives happily ever after. There's a reason that these books and movies and TV shows, they, I mean, they sell and they attract our attention. That's what we want. We want happily ever after too. I mean, we want to live in a house that never leaks or has any rats. We want to live with a perfect spouse who is merely there for our needs and nothing more. We want to live in a perfect little community where our kids can run around free and easy. We want to retire and live on the beach with no problems, no struggles, no pain, no suffering. And this isn't nearly, uh, merely an epidemic of the world, but also so-called Christian preachers who preach the prosperity gospel. They will chalk up any sort of suffering to a lack of faith. You know the reason why you don't have a private jet? You don't have enough faith. The real reason is that we didn't swindle unsuspecting men and women with a false gospel, but <clears throat> the life of no suffering, the, the desire to live in a, a life of ease, it is, it's a good desire, but here's the distinction. To search for it here on earth is simply unbiblical. Believers do not have to worry about finding this life in Jesus. We will one day have it and we'll have it forever in glory. Because this truth, because the truth is that even <clears throat> the man on the beach who just retired, he's not fully satisfied either. He's not fully satisfied here on earth. A life of no suffering here on earth is just simply an upside down truth. Acts 14, 22 says this, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Not through a life of ease. Not through an easy life, through many tribulations, through trials, through suffering, we must enter the kingdom of God. And the biblical truth from our passage this morning is that it is our call to suffer. It is our call to suffer. Believers in the room, our call in this life here on earth is to suffer. So let's read verse 18 through 25. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are, there and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure? 
this is a gracious thing in the sight of God, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Let's pray. God, we pray this morning that you would uh, remove any distraction, any stress, any, uh, any thought that we have that is outside of thinking about you and your word this morning. We pray that you would help us to focus on you and you alone. And by your word, through the spirit that you have given us as believers, would you change us? Would you flip the truths that we tend to believe in right side up? Would you show us a true and a better way, God? For this to happen, you have to show up. You have to be here. You have to change all of our hearts. Would you do that this morning, Father? And in all of this, we give you praise. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. From our passage, we see three facets of truth that will flip our world back, our, our world's right side up. The first is we see our call to suffer. The second, we see our purpose in suffering. And third is we see our motivation to suffer. We see our call to suffer. We see our purpose in suffering. And then thirdly, we see our motivation to suffer. Let's look at the first one. If you look at verse 18, it says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. In Christ, we are free servants of Christ, who are free to be servants of sinful and unjust men and women who sin against us for the higher purpose of the glory of Christ. Now we have to see this. Not all sadness and sorrow is suffering. The term suffering here is suffering undeservedly, suffering unjustly. This is why verse 20 says this, for what credit is it if when you sin and are beat for it, you endure? So if you are suffering because you were cheating on your spouse, or if you were suffering because you murdered someone, you deserve that suffering. It is only a gracious thing when we suffer and when we have sorrow unjustly or undeservedly. However, we must also see this. Not all good and joyful things are bad. If we sit and enjoy a board game with our friends or we have a nice dinner date, it's not that we should sit there and think of ways to sabotage the evening because we're like, nope, I'm called to suffer. I've got to make this horrible. No, verse 20 continues. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. We are called to do good and suffer for it. Now, rightfully so, the people who read this at first, our original audience, they're upset through what they're going through. The reason why Peter is even writing this letter is that these Christians were wrongfully sinned against. Like, there's no denying that. They were sinned against. 
They didn't do anything. Emperor Nero kicks them out. It's like, no, you guys are no longer welcome here because of something you never did. It's actually because of something he did. He didn't say that. But so rightfully so. Like, they want to go against the system. Like, no, I mean, I'm, I'm a Roman citizen. I deserve to be treated better than this. But Peter flips the truth back over to the right side up. He says, no, 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 suffer this. Endure this sorrow while suffering unjustly for the good that you have done. This is a gracious thing. So what kind of suffering are we called to? 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8 and 9, it says we're afflicted in every way. We're afflicted in every way. Just some examples of what I've seen. Uh, We will suffer the pain of not sinning. We will suffer the pain of not sinning. There is a deep hurt in the moment that we forsake sin because that is the thing we think will complete us. We think if we could just get that burger or that drink or that pill or that night with that person, then I will have what my body, what my flesh feels like it needs. And when we turn from that, there's a pain. There's a real loss that we feel. It's why fighting sin is hard. It's why fighting sin is called fighting sin. But flipping this truth right side up, there is a greater joy waiting on the other side. In Christ, we have the power to look at our temptation and say, no, man, I've I've been down this road before. It never goes well for me. This sin thing, you don't do what you promise you say you're gonna do. I will glorify God here instead. God help me. We must be willing to suffer the loss of sin for the glory of God. That's why it says, but if when you do good, when you forsake sin and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Another way is that we will suffer the loss of comfort. Being a follower and disciple of Jesus Christ is only going to be absolutely comfortable on the other side of this life. Here on earth, God may be calling us to give when we have nothing but savings left. God may be calling us to live in a land where people hate to hear of Jesus Christ or they do not even know his name. And we may have to sacrifice our homes and our lives to get there. God may be calling us to foster babies and kids. God may be calling us to any number of things in our lives and I can only guarantee you one thing, it's gonna bring suffering. But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. What is God calling to you? What is God calling you to right now, and will you suffer to do it? The rest of the passage in Corinthians does say this. Yeah, we, we are absolutely afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Our call as Christians is to suffer for the higher purpose of the glory of God. Why? Why? What, is, what is our purpose there? Second point, our purpose in suffering. If you look at verse 21. For to this, this doing good and, and, and enduring the suffering that comes of it, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example 
so that you might follow in his steps. Two things we need to see here for our purpose. The first is, this suffering is a call to everyone who claims the name of Christ. There is no escaping the call to suffer. If we claim to be a Christian, the you here is plural. All followers of Jesus. And then the second thing is, we suffer because Jesus suffered for us. The text does not read, for to this you have been called so that Christ can suffer for you. No. We love because he first loved us. The good news of the gospel is that Christ suffered for us first. And so now we can suffer. This makes us see something about the purpose of our suffering. The reason why Peter structured the sentence the way he did is because the suffering is not about us. Christ suffered for the sake of you and me. And so now we have been called to suffer, not because it's awesome, but for the sake of everyone outside of us. We suffer to the glory of God and, so that, and for other people. When they see us afflicted in every way, but not being crushed, when they see all sorts of horrible things happen to us and yet they see us stand firm in the grace of God, when they see that, they will see the power of God within us. The purpose of suffering is bigger than you and I, but this is exactly why we can and should step into positions of suffering. That we may boast about a God who is bigger than this suffering so that others may see it. Yes, it is going to be hard, but it's not about us. 2 Corinthians 1 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. God comforts us so that we can comfort others. God grants us mercy so that we can be merciful to others. God stands wholeheartedly with us in our, in our suffering so that we can stand wholeheartedly with others who are in their suffering. God never leaves us alone in our suffering so that we won't leave others alone. Is this you? Our call as Christians is to suffer. Why? For the sake of the glory of God and for the sake of those who we may get to comfort in their, in their suffering. However, this is extremely impossible to do on our own power. We must constantly be looking to Jesus as our example and motivation, which is why more than half of the passage is about just Jesus himself. Look at verse 22. This is point number three, our motivation to suffer. He, that being Jesus, committed no sin. And just, just think about that for a second. No sin. Jesus had no sin, committed no sin. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins. Someone else's sin, everyone else's sin, he took on himself to live in this way, <clears throat> in his body on the tree. Why? Why this death on a sinner's cross? Why take the, the sin of everyone else that he 
He never sinned. He did not have to do this. Why? That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Without the intervening, live to perfection life of Jesus and without the justifying death of Jesus on that old wooden cross, there is nothing left for humanity but eternal punishment and wrath. The punishment of sin is eternal separation from the Father, but Jesus took that on himself. That when the Father looks at us, he sees nothing but righteousness, that we may live to righteousness. Jesus suffered everything that you and I deserve to suffer in our sin. Because of this life, because of this death, because of this burial and then resurrection of Jesus, you and I are now free to suffer all sorts of pain and death. If nothing else in Mission Church's history is remembered, I want you to be willing to suffer for the glory of God. Why? Look at the rest of verse 24. By his wounds, you have been healed. By his wounds, you have been healed of all the wounds, of all the suffering that you may encounter when you do good. And so go and be willing to suffer for the glory of God and for the sake of others. You've been healed already. Love a sinner, even though it will bring you pain when they sin against you. Wake up early to meet with a man or a woman to help them confess sin and read their Bibles, even though it'll be hard and awkward at points. Take time out of your day to call or text or prepare a meal or even go over to someone's house to encourage them. Go and serve the homeless men and women or the refugees of downtown Dallas. Go and meet your neighbor. Go and foster babies who are literally sitting right now at the Kaufman County CPS office. You want someone to love them. Go and serve mission kids. Go to church, even though we might not have the greatest anything. Welcome to the kingdom of God. You will experience suffering. But more importantly, you will experience suffering that has been paid for. Be willing to suffer. Be willing to suffer for the glory of God and the sake of others because of the willingness of this man to suffer for you and I. By his wounds, we are forever and finally healed. This is why 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 says this, and we can read this one together. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed but not driven to despair. Persecuted but not forsaken. Struck down but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so, the, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us. Yes, but life in you. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, though we may face any and every kind of suffering, our inner self is being renewed day by day. 
for this light, momentary affliction. Think about eternity. And then think about whatever it is you might go through. Whatever it is you might be currently going through. It is light and momentary in comparison to eternity. And it is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. There's an eternal weight of glory for those who suffer here on earth. For the glory of God. And for the sake of those who may be with us in heaven. Mission, may we always be willing to suffer. By his wounds, we are already healed. We're going to partake of the Lord's Supper together. And as we do, take your time to consider the body and the blood that you will be holding the symbols of. Take time to consider the shed blood and the broken body. Take time to remember the grace of God to wound his son that we may instead be healed. If you are a suffering believer of Jesus Christ, you are welcome to the table as family. But if you are not a believer or if you are in any unrepentant sin, I ask that you remain in your seat during this time. First Corinthians says you would be eating and drinking in an unworthy manner and we want to take the body and the blood of Jesus seriously So please remain in your seat. If you're in unrepentant sin, just look right here at what Jesus has done for you. So that you might die to sin, that sin that you are living in right now, and that you might live to righteousness. Put your sin to death by the power of the Spirit in you and turn to belief yet again. It will feel like suffering that is exactly where you would be. If you're an unbeliever, maybe you have toyed with the idea, maybe you even believe that there is a God somewhere, there is an eternal weight of suffering that you have to pay. And you have no way to pay. Jesus took the payment for your sins and desires that you come to salvation and repentance. Turn from your sins and believe in Jesus today. Because we want that whole room, whatever that looks like in heaven, we want that thing to be full. For all of us together, here's our prayer. Father, we admit that we need this body and this blood to cover our sin of not being willing to suffer for you and your people. Would you, by your grace, remind me of the suffering of your son? that I may suffer too. In Jesus' name, amen. The song that we are about to sing together, here are some of the lyrics. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss the Father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. 
I will not boast in anything. No gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ. His death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. All of this is true. Because on the night when he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me.